Well, how are y'all feeling today? Are you guys excited to be in God's house? Come on, let's make some noise. It's ugly outside, but it is hot up in this place today. Hey, I want to welcome our Lancaster campus. If you're there watching, I want to welcome every person tuning in online. We love you. We miss you. If you haven't been in a while, we'd love to have you here because we're talking about community. If you're new to our church, I want to welcome you. My name's Tim, one of the pastors here. And we just began a series last week talking about community. I believe it is important. It's a buzzword. It's a hot word right now. But I think it's because we all, at one point or another, we crave community. Now, let me give you just some insight into this series and kind of what inspired me. I was actually reading a book, or let me back up. I was listening to a book. I like to listen to books rather than read them. I don't know if any of you do that, but... I was listening to this book that honestly was not a great book. I, I don't recommend it. Uh, another pastor recommended it to me, and the concept was great. The concept was about how pastors need cared for uh, as much as we think pastors are there to care for the church, and we are, that, that, that sometimes pastors aren't cared for. And that's all great, and I love that concept. It was, you know, great. The content was just blah. Like, I really did not like it. But as I was listening, the author said one sentence just grabbed me said one thing that just like kind of just shook my world a little bit he said this he said we are all just a community project we're a community project so I began to think like okay what does that mean I even stopped listening to him he just kept rambling on I didn't like the book anyways but I kept playing over and over in my mind what does he mean we're a community project like I don't know if I should be uh, Offended by that? What, what do you mean? And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe he's talking about how, how God created all of us and he's a world that's full of billions and trillions of people. I, I don't know. I don't think that he's talking about how God would just kind of start this cosmic sociology experiment and he just sits back and watches all of us kind of play together and see how we do. I, I, I don't think that's it. And I began to think about how our culture really wouldn't buy this idea that we're a community project. That's not a popular thing to say. You know why? Here's why. Because you'll hear people say things like this. Maybe you've said stuff like this. They'll say, I am where I am because I've earned it. I I've gotten to where I've gotten because I worked hard. Uh, um, I I'm a self-made man. You ever heard someone say that? I'm a, nobody gave me anything. I worked for it. I earned it. And I respect that. And that's incredible. But I wonder if it's just a little bit short-sighted. I wonder if it's just a little bit, like, 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 I begin to think about this, like, why God created us and this whole concept that he was talking about, how we are a community project. And I just wonder if perhaps God intended for us to experience life through the lens of community and not just our identity. Like not, not the world that I can create and not what I can accomplish and not where I can get, but this idea that maybe you and I were made for something more than just what you can accomplish. Maybe you were made for community. You know who I think gets this sometimes? Athletes. I don't know if you've ever been an athlete, but when you see athletes, especially at the professional level, Right? Maybe even at the college level, they're very successful and they have a big game and they 160 yards on the ground or whatever, and they stick a camera and a microphone in their face. And how'd you do it? You, you ever see what athletes do? The first thing they do is begin to give credit. Some of them be like, well, God, God blessed me with it. And, and that's true. God blessed them with the talent. But then you'll sometimes hear them say, well, it was my offensive line. 
Amen, said a guy who was a former offensive lineman down here. Why do the stinking running backs get all the credit in the quarterbacks, right? They'll say, if it weren't for those big horses up front, we wouldn't have been able to do this. I couldn't get 160 yards on the ground. Like, like we, we recognize sometimes that there are people around us on the team that made it possible. I would go so far as to say this. You know who they don't normally give a lot of credit to, but athletes could. They ought to give more credit to their parents. I know they're adults now, but when they were peewee and their kids were dragging them to practice, paying for them to play, taking them to private lessons, spending hours and hours investing in them. You see, I, I guess there's this understanding I want you to get today. And that is, you are where you are, not just because of you, but because of the people that you've had in your life. Amen? Come on, we need to recognize that. I am where I am because of other people, not just because of my hard work, my ingenuity, my, my intelligence. No, 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 no. There was a teacher maybe that one time inspired you, which is why you are in the career field you're in today. Or maybe there, there was a parent that invested in you and showed you a life and the way it was supposed to be and it made all the difference. Maybe, maybe there was a, a spouse that loved you in spite of all kinds of faults and problems. Maybe it was a brother that would stick with you when everybody else left. Or maybe it was a friend that would help you study when you kept failing the test. The reality is this. You are where you are because of people around you. And I am where I am because of people around me. Do you know the truth is this? If it were me on my own, I would not be standing here right now preaching to you. I wouldn't be. I am here because I had people in my life. I had parents that invested in me. I had a wife that would support me. I had my wife's parents that helped me start this church. You would not be sitting in this church today if it weren't for my wife's parents. That's how significant of an impact they've made in my life. And the truth is this, like when it comes to life, we aren't self-made. We're the we're the product, listen, not of our own effort, but really the result of a community project. You're a project. You may not have realized that. You're a project. I'm a project. We're all a project. In fact, do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm a project. Go on and just tell it. Admit it. I'm a project. I'm in process. I'm not perfect. I'm a project. We're a project in the making. Do you know that you're the project of your maker? I like to think about that. We're a, we're a project of our creator that they, he made us and he put us into this specific environment where we need community. You and I are a project of our maker. And I believe that in order for us to understand the level of community that we are to live life and experience the fullness of life that God intended, we actually have to go back to the very beginning and see how God made us. If you got your Bible with you, I want to I want to start off in Genesis. Genesis, the word Genesis means beginning. It's the first chapter in the Bible. If you've got one with you, an electronic device, and I want to look at the Genesis account, the the creation account that we were given. Most scholars believe by a guy named Moses. I just preached about him. That there was a time when he was on a mountain that God would have revealed to him maybe the 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 narrative of creation. And so when you look at Genesis chapter 1, you get this macro view of creation. It does not give a lot of details. God does not. But it gives us some insight to understand who we are and, listen, more importantly, who God is. Now, I just want to say, you may be at church. Maybe it's your first time. 
And maybe you kind of always believed that the creation account is, is more of a myth than, than reality. Maybe you say, I, I don't know that I believe that the world was created in six days, the universe. I, I don't know that I buy that or even 6,000 years or I think it took millions of years. And maybe you think we're the process of evolution. And listen, I can respect that. Okay, we, we may have a difference of opinion in that area, and that's okay. But here's one thing that even evolutionists will tell you today. The problem that they have with this idea that we're just a, we're just like, we just happen to show up out of chance is that that's not the way our world works. And even evolutionists, astronomists, and all these people, you know what they'll say? They have a big problem, and that problem is we're not really sure how it all got started. In the Christian faith, here's what we say. We say the first cause was God. He was the one that initiated it. Okay? And, and so the narrative that we have, many of us have, have believed because of evidence that has been given to us is found in Genesis 1. And so God is creating the world around us. He's creating the sea and the birds and the air and, and, and everything. And then when he finally gets down to the sixth day, he gets down to eventually creating you and me, mankind. I want you to hear how, how this transaction goes. In Genesis 1 verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own, what would you all help me out? In his own image, in the image of God, he created them, both male and female, he created them. Now listen, even if you're like, ah, that's, that's cute, that's a cute story, I really like that. And you say, I don't believe this account, and I, I just think that, you know, we've kind of evolved, and, you know, we're like share 98% of the same DNA as monkeys, and so I just think, listen, do you realize how, how much 2% is, by the way? It's a lot, okay? And that 2% really matters to me, because I, I'm different than a monkey, you know? Here's, here's the thing, regardless of where we come from, and you go, I don't know if I believe this, the end result that I'm going to show you is that what you have experienced and what I've experienced, I believe is attributed to this one thing in life, and that is that God made us in his image. There's something different about human beings. There's something different about our species that stands alone from all the rest of God's creation. All beautiful in its way, but, but humans are different. Come on, we need to recognize this. Humans, we have something in us that is different than all the rest. We have a way to communicate. We have a way to relate, a way to feel things, a desires and things within us. We have intellect. We have all of these things. And if you would ask me, would say, where does all of that come from? Here's what I would say, and I know that there's science and physiology for all of this, but I would say I believe all of that, the totality of that really is your soul. That, that when God made this lifeless body, he breathed his spirit into ours. And when that happened, that God put something in us, and here's what he said. He said, we're going to make man in our image. The reason why you're different from all the rest of creation is because you bear some type of reflection of the creator. And in case you missed this, it's one little easy sentence to slip right over and miss. There's something the writer wants us to know about God that actually speaks to 
who he is and who we were created to be. In verse 26, I'll reread this. It says this. Maybe you missed it. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Now, that's odd. I wonder if the writer screwed that up. When I think about God, just to me, you know, I picture there's, there's just God out there, some being somewhere, maybe God on a throne. I don't, I don't know. I, but the writer wants us to understand, and I believe communicated this by God so we would understand. He gives a plural version of God. Most of us don't think that way. In fact, the Hebrew word for God here that's used is Elohim, which is literally the plural version of God. This was not a mistake. The translators did not screw this up. This was God trying to express who he is right in the very first chapter. And he says, let us. Who's us? Some my angels? Mm, maybe. Maybe not. But we also know there were angels with God. Let us make man in our image. See, there's difference. It's not the angels. This is God saying in, in our image. What is he talking about? And there's a concept that we learn all throughout the Bible that is kind of, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't totally get it. It's kind of mind-blowing. It's hard to understand. But it's what we've discovered about God is that God is one. We're a monotheistic religion. There's one God, but he's expressed to us in three distinct persons. You ever heard this word Trinity. Big words like, you know, it's not just the name of a church, you know, down the street. Like, it's really trying to understand that what we discover through the Bible is that God is expressed through three distinct persons. Maybe you've heard this. We say it whenever we baptize people. There's God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We get, we get picture of this throughout, throughout the narrative that God gives us. Even in the first chapter, by the way, it, it says in the first verse, in the beginning, God... And in verse 2, it says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. We're getting this picture over and over. God, God wanted us to know that he is plural. Mind-blowing. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Some of you are like, I need better. You're going to have to do better, Pastor. You're gonna have to, I can't give you better. That's the mystery and the beauty of God. If we could understand that, you would be God. Why, why, does God, why is it important to see God this way? It's because of this. God exists himself in community. I've heard people say this before, and I, I kind of laugh at this. And so if you've had this thought, I'm sorry, I'm kind of laughing. But I've heard people sometimes give this reason as to why God made man. That God made people because he was lonely. Have you ever heard that before? I've heard people say that. He was all alone, just sitting up there in the cosmos and just nothingness and just, I'm bored. I just wish I had somebody to talk to. No, that could not be further from the truth. God existed in community. God had angels. God was not bored and God was not lonely when he created mankind. But something in his nature just prompted him, something that I want to create people and I want to relate to them. Let me tell you what that is. God is relational. I do not buy this idea that God started everything and then just sits back and watches us duke it out. God is imminent. He's there. He's a part of our lives. God created us to relate to us, to have relationship with us. You see this in the very beginning in the garden. 
In the third chapter, it tells us God would come down almost like every day in the cool of the day in the garden would hang out with Adam, the first man and woman, Eve, that we call Eve. He would hang out with them. Like they were, like they were close. They were connected. They were, they were relationship. Listen, God is relational. And if you are made in his image, you need to realize something. You are relational. And you might have an awful personality. And you might like to go it alone. But I need you to understand something. God put an imprint on you that bears his nature, that you're made for relationship with him and with others. You can see that when, when the man was alone and God said it's not good for the man to be alone. Even though he had relationship with God, he needed relationship with others. And so God, so God did this. And there's something in this. Now listen, so we can't always describe this. But, but I want you to understand, there's something I believe in all of us, in the soul that God puts within us that we crave and desire and we need community. We need relationship. In fact, I think that's why sometimes you, you'll hear parents or people who want to have kids, um, you know, will, will really have this deep-seated desire to have children, right? Like even people that aren't, that aren't you know, parents yet, and, and I know there's some of you that married and tried to have kids and you can't have kids and something inside of a person aches for some reason when they can't have children now those of you that are parents can i just ask a simple question why did you want to have children i just want you to think about that and i know some of you immediately start thinking well actually it's not that i wanted children i just wanted the process of making children that's not what i'm talking about now think about it for just a second why did you want children and some of you, may, maybe you're younger, you don't, but, but one day you probably will. Why? Can, can I tell you this? Because it almost makes no sense as being someone who's a parent when you think about children, right? Think about children. Children are messy. They're sloppy. They're rebellious. They're expensive. They talk back all the time. They don't do chores. They don't carry their weight around the house. They come back into the house after you get rid of them. They're always in your wallet. They drain you emotionally. You want to pull your hair out. You become gray because of your children. Come on, think about it. Why in the world do we want to have children? I don't think we can help it. I think it's because we were made in the image of a heavenly father who desperately desired to have children, you guys. Like, like it's in us. You can't fight it. And so what I'm trying to say is there's something inside of you, something deep with inside of the makeup, the, the soul inside of you that is craving and yearning for some type of community. Now, here's the thing. We, we try to find community in a variety of different ways. Well, I get this. But I need you to understand this. God made you and me for soul community. Soul community. There's a level of community I'm talking about that reaches to the soul that you need to understand. Now listen, we can find community in a variety of different ways. We, we can find it in our, in our you know, soccer teams as parents and people we sit with. We can find it at work. We can find it in school. We can find it in a class. We can find it in a work field. We can find it in a lot of places. But let me tell you this. Not all versions or forms of community are equal. You need a community for your soul. Now, here's what's crazy to me. 
We live in a day and age where we are more connected than ever before. More than any other point in human history. You get it, like, we have the internet, we, we are connected to people around the world. You can know on social media what's happening within seconds. We know when the next tragedy happens, we see it immediately, within minutes. We, we, we know what's going on. You can FaceTime with people. You can video chat with people around the world at any given time. We can have hundreds and thousands of people that we're friends with online that we're constantly having conversations and direct messages and adding and all this stuff. We, we have all of that. And yet, as much as we have all these kind of connections today, it just seems like more and more we're still lonely. I've got so many people around me. And yet you can still be intensely alone. And I think that there's a trap, let me just say this, that we have to be careful of. I think there's a trap in our culture, you know, the self-made man, the self-made woman, and I don't really need anything, and I'm going to go live way out, and I don't want to see my neighbors, and I can do it all on my own. There's a trap that we can settle for artificial community over authentic community. As long as I'm connected on Facebook. As long as I got Instagram, I know your story because you're going to post it in your story. I know what you ate for lunch because you're going to tell me what you ate for lunch. We, we think that that's, a, that's community. And though it might kind of, kind of just kind of fill a little bit of that gap that we have, I'm just saying your soul needs community. And I don't know that you can get that through Twitter. Your soul needs it. That's why I, this is, this is maybe my personal opinion. And you might say you're a pastor, you're biased in this. This is why I personally believe that the most significant community that you can find yourself in is the church community. Let me tell you why, because I believe that the church community is really designed all around our soul. We're designed around the same purpose that we have a soul that's longing to connect with our creator and we have a soul that's designed to connect with each other and there's something about the church community that I believe is so incredible, so amazing. I'm not saying there's not other communities. I'm just saying not all communities are equal because there's something about a church where you should be able to come as you are, not wearing some makeup, not wearing a mask, not having to pretend like you have your life all together. There's something about the church community where we welcome people and we love people without judgment, without reservation. And that's why we say, hey, come as you are. That, that's why if you wondered in, in this church why we don't dress up, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with dressing up, and I understand the tradition it was meant to respect and all that, but the problem I had seen in church is that we can dress up and wear suits and ties and dresses and look great on the outside. Meanwhile, we're dying on the inside, and nobody knows because we've got this persona of perfection as we walk into churches, but that's not what the church community exists for. We are broken people who are doing life together, and we need each other. We need each other. You, you need me and I need you. And I think there's something about the church th that can be community for your soul that you may not get in other places. And, and I know um, one of the big complaints that people often have and they say why they can't get connected is, is they'll say, I, I would, but that church is just too big. I've heard that. It's a big church. And I just feel, I don't know, the service after service, and some of them are packed out, and there's just a lot of people, and I, I just don't know anybody, and it's just, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, 
I can't find any connection because it's just a big church. Let me tell you why I believe in a big church. I preached it last week. I believe in a big church because God has a big heart for the people of this world, because God wants heaven populated, because God wants the community of heaven to be so big and so populated, and therefore we're just beginning to practice for heaven. If we understand God's heart for people, we'd understand that we are to be a church that would invite and attract hundreds and thousands of people to who Jesus is. Well, big churches are just impersonal and you can't find connection. Let me tell you something. This is an interesting truth because I've been in all realms of church. You can be in a small church and feel like an outsider and be in a big church and it feel like home. It's not about the church. It's about you. Well, that church, what do you, what do you, when you say that church, what are you saying? Are you saying that building? Cause that's not a church. When you blame a church for being a certain way, you're actually blaming all of the people in the church for being a certain way. Well, that church, they're so important. No. And some maybe are, I don't know, but I'm telling you in this church, we, we try our best not to be. The, the difference is you have to want it. You have to want it. Like, and here's the thing about community for your soul. You, you can't force it, but you can find it. You, you can't force it. I'm not talking about, well, I just got a church and I attend with these people. I'm talking about a whole different level, guys. You can't force it, but you can find it. I, I liken it to dating. Dating, you, you can't force it. You can't force somebody to date you, or at least you shouldn't. That's really bad. Don't ever do that, okay, if you're single. You can't force someone to date you. You can't force someone to like you. You don't force somebody to fall in love with you. But you know what you can do? You can put yourself out there and you can find love and you can find someone to share your life with. You can find that, but it's just you putting yourself out there. You know the awkward part of having to ask somebody out? Somebody that you see maybe at church. And it's like, hey, you know, what you're, you ever just want to get coffee or something? You like movies? I like movies. You want to go see a movie? I'm just free. You want to go see a movie? Right? It's not awkward, you know. Hey, can you tell her that I like her? Don't do that, okay? That's, that's middle school. It's awkward. And so here's what happens, I think. A lot of times our picture in our mind of church community is that I go on the weekend, but I never go any deeper. Because it's awkward and it's weird. And then after a while, let me tell you, if that's all your experience is here or anywhere, you will eventually go, I just can't, I just, I don't know, I can't find it. I can't, I don't feel connected. I don't feel like family. I want you to feel like family and we have opportunities for that, but it's kind of up to you to find it. It really is. In fact, I, I believe that one of the greatest examples that we can find in the Bible, this might shock you, of someone who needed community for his soul and showed us how to do this was Jesus. Now, I may shock you. You're like, what did Jesus need community for his soul? He did. In fact, Jesus paints this picture that I think really helps us understand what does it look like for you and for me to find community for our soul. Here, here's the picture. Jesus was phenomenal at attracting large crowds. You know that, right? If you read through the gospel accounts, wherever Jesus went, hundreds, thousands of people would show up. They wanted to hear him preach and teach because, well, he's the son of God and he seems to know things about life that we don't understand. And so he would come and he would teach and thousands and you'd go to houses and they would be packed out to where they couldn't fit anybody. 
He'd go to villages and so many people would crowd. They'd be pressing around him. Not only because of the way he could teach, but the way he demonstrated love. The way he loved people that other people wouldn't love. The way he would heal people because he's the son of God. The way he would feed people because he would take a, a few loaves and fish and he would feed multitudes. Jesus had this dynamic nature. There's something about Jesus that whenever he was there, crowds would flock. And I seem to also believe that when the church makes Jesus the primary emphasis, that crowds of people will flock together because there's something attractive about Jesus. It's not me. It's not you. It's not us. It's him. And so he can attract crowds. You know what? We can attract crowds because of him. But that wasn't, that wasn't it. That wasn't enough for him. He not only attracted a crowd, but he would also assemble a crew. He assembled a crew. You know that he, he gathered with him 12 guys, young guys to kind of do life with him. He invited them. He said, you want to go on a journey with me? Do you want to go? We're going we're to go places together. We're going to eat together. We're going to experience life together. We're going to serve the poor together. Do you know what that was? It's a small group. Jesus had a small group. Yes. He had a small group. I'm, I'm just going to say he's probably the leader of the small group. He had a small group of 12 guys that he would take with him and they would experience life together. He, he did it. This was important. There's the crowd. The crowd's great. We have the crowd on Sunday. But you need to take another step because Jesus took another step with just a few. Just 12 but do you know that, that that also didn't kind of meet a level of community for your soul? For his soul? Do you know that he needed something deeper than that? Because there are many times that when you read through his account, you know what he would do? He would take three away with him. There were three guys of the 12 that were so close to him that he would share in the most intimate moments of his life, the real moments of his life. Their names were Peter, James, and John. And you'd read through the account and you'd see that there'd be a large crowd, but then he'd pull away with just 12. He'd say, come on. And then from those, he would pull away again with just three. Some might look at that and go, I just, it feels like Jesus had favorites. He liked Peter, James, and John the best. Listen, Jesus didn't have favorites. He had friends. Jesus needed friends. You need friends. I need friends. God did not design us to do life by ourselves. Even the Son of God needed friends on this earth. In fact, I wanted to read to you just an account because he, he would take these three guys with him in some of the most real moments of his life. Things that he wouldn't just let everybody else see. And you find that in Mark chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. It says this, that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and he led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone, it was just the four of them. It says there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Jesus had this very private moment on top of a mountain where he takes his three closest friends, no one else, and it says that he was transfigured. In other words, he was changed. Literally, emphasis is a physical change. It wasn't like, hey, guys, hold on. He went and he slipped into a white robe and came out. No, something supernatural happened, and he was transfigured. And I would argue, this is just my perspective, that what they got a glimpse of wasn't just his humanity, but a little bit of his divinity. 
And it was in that moment, this private, this special moment that his father, his heavenly father comes in this dense cloud and a voice comes out and says, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. And he says, listen to him. It's a private moment that he shares with just three of them. And you know what Jesus told the three on his way down? He said, don't breathe a word of this to anybody until after I'm killed and come back to life. This was just for me and you to share. That's it. Can I ask you a question? Much like Jesus, do you have any people in your life that you let in to see the real you? Not, not, the, not the person that we portray online. Not sometimes even the person that we portray when we go to church. Do you have people in your life that you, you let see the real you? With all the flaws and all the challenges and all the problems and the good moments. Do you, do you have that? Do you let people in? Because Jesus did. You know why Jesus did? Because his soul needed it. Now, you don't believe me? I'm, I'm going to show you another one. In Mark chapter 14, there's a moment where the, Jesus draws away again. It wasn't his shining moment like he had on top of the mountain. It was a sorrowful moment that he experienced. And it tells us in Mark 14, verse 32, it says they went to a place called Gethsemane. This was the garden that he would go to right before he was arrested. And Jesus said to his disciples, this was the 11 by this point. Judas was no longer in the picture. He said to his disciples that he took with him, sit here while I pray. He brought them so far, but he, then he said, you guys stay and sit. I'm going to go pray. You guys just hang out. I'm going to go off and pray. Then verse 33, he took, notice this, Peter, James, and John along with him. And then he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And verse 34 tells us, this is what he says to these three. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch with me. Now hold on. If Jesus himself, the Son of God, needed someone to bear and carry the weight of the burden he felt in his soul, how much more do you and I need it? If Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life, needed people close to him to carry the weight of life that was pressing on his soul, then come on, I think you and I need it too. So let me ask you this, like, do you have people in your life, again, I ask, that you let into your struggle like Jesus did? Do you, do you have people in your life that you let see when you're a mess, when you let see that your, your heart is broken? Do you have people that you let in when your marriage is a mess or do you just try to carry it all by yourself? You have people around when you're struggling and you're doubting the existence of God because you're praying and nothing's happening. Do you have people around you when your faith is drowning that you can say, pray for me, I don't know how I'm gonna survive this. Because you need that. And I need that. But it only happens when you let people in. It only happens when you, when you go looking for a sense of community 
listen, you can't find any place else. You're not going to find clubs and organizations and groups out there that are going to really meet you at this place. But in the church, do you have people that you can tell that you're struggling with depression, that you have suicidal thoughts? Because I imagine church our size that there are actually many of you that are dealing with that every day. This, this last couple of weeks, um, our church community, not our specifically, but really the pastoral community um, dealt with something that was just tragic. Uh, there's a pastor out of California. His name is Andrew Steckline, and he pastors a larger church. 30 years old, took over for his dad that passed away recently from, from leukemia. 30 years old, a beautiful wife, 29, three boys, ages five and under, Ch large church, a huge influence, God using him to do great things. A few weeks ago, he ended up taking his own life. Kind of just sent a wave. You, you may not experience this, but I'm connected to this pastoral community. Remember, we're, we, we're a small world today. We're kind of a community of pastors that were connected, thankfully. And it just sent the shockwave. It's like it seemed like he had everything to live for. And yet he battled with a level of depression and anxiety that other people didn't understand. Even his own wife would write later, I had no idea how dark it was for you. I wish, I wish I could have known. And I, and I watched his funeral service and, and it made me just realize like, we are not designed to handle life by ourselves. We're not. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And, and I, my greatest fear is that some or many of you will come to church here. You'll come in Lancaster and you'll experience the crowd version of this community. And it might touch your soul for a moment, but it won't help you carry the weight of your soul in other moments. You might think, I don't need it. I'm good. We don't need it. We don't need to get into a group. I don't need any of this. Hey, listen, when life's good, you can say that. But when life gets overwhelming, I hope somebody knows. We want to be here. We want to care. This church community, I, I know people in this community. We desperately want to be family. We want to carry each other's burdens, as it says in Galatians 6. I'm telling you, your soul needs community. Not, not just for your activities, not just for your clubs, not just for your kids. I'm telling you this, your soul needs it. My soul needs it. And we try to provide opportunities at this church. We gather on the weekend. We worship together and I love it. I love getting to see many of you and I love, there's something about it that is just, it's just amazing to be able to kind of refresh after a week and then just, how are you doing? And get to know your stories and we see each other and we connect with each other and we serve each other. There's something beautiful about gathering, but it's just a crowd experience. And then many of us gather into small groups. You know, we have small groups that meet during the week. I'm in one. Are you in one? Or do you not need one? Just me and Jesus, we need one. But I think we all do. But you know what we say? I'm too busy. It's awkward. It's weird. I don't want to put myself out there. That's fine. But you're never going to know the kind of community that your soul craves until you do it. And it's scary. 
But my real hope and prayer is that you're going to find authentic community, not just in the crowd and not just in a small group, that you're going to find some friends that are going to probably be your friends for life here in this community. You're going to find people that will love you no matter what. You're going to find people that you connect with on a deeper level. And I pray, my heart, pray, I pray that you find that here. Listen, we're going to provide all the opportunities in the world, but we can't make it happen for you. I just need you to understand that. So before you want to blame a church, and I'm not saying this because we've heard anything. This is just something God put in my heart. I want authentic community and relationships. I want that. You want that. I know you do. I'm going to put the ball in your court. So you got to find it. It's here. You got to find it. We're going to provide opportunities to get in small groups, to gather in the crowd, to get on volunteer teams, to get to know people and do things together. But you got to put yourself out there because God created you for it. Amen. Come on, would you pray with me today? God, I am thankful for this community. The church is a broken yet beautiful community. We're, we're made up of a bunch of sinners. God, we need you and we need each other. Lord, I pray that through the help of your spirit, that God, you would help each and every one of us find true, authentic community here in this church. Not a superficial community, but a soul community. I pray, God, that you would help us to, to find and to know people that know our story, that know our name, that know what we're carrying. That's the kind of family we want to be. Listen, as we're praying right now, I just wonder if maybe here in Lancaster, if you're watching this online, that there's some of you that are hearing this and maybe for the first time realizing that you desperately need a relationship with God. Maybe you never even realized that God created you for that purpose. You're not here just to make a bunch of money. You're not here just to have a certain lifestyle. You're not here just to be successful. But God created you and put you here because he wants you. He wants a relationship with you. And you can begin a relationship with God today through Jesus. Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and died a death that we all deserve to die on a cross for my sin, for your sin. And they placed him in a grave. And on the third day, God raised him to life to prove to us once and for all that he has defeated death, hell, and the grave. And you can begin a relationship with God through Jesus by faith. It's a gift that God gives. It's not anything you can earn, but it's something you have to receive. And I wonder if today there's some of you that you came here and for this very moment, it's time for you to begin that journey, to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know that it's the Holy Spirit is just kind of, it's just pushing and nudging and saying, you need relationship with God and you need relationship with this community. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me today. Would you just say these words, Heavenly Father, I accept your gift of salvation and I believe that you created me for you. I believe in your son Jesus that he died for me to take my place. He rose again to give me life. And so today I put my faith in you. I may have doubts and questions, but in this moment right now, I'm reaching out. I'm saying, God, I need you. I want to begin a relationship with you. So God, fill me with your spirit, your presence. I commit to follow you from this day forward. I pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, come on, let's thank God right now for those who prayed that prayer.
who've come to Jesus today. Amen.